time out to again thank so many who were helpful in our busy week last week in, prep in preparation for our plays and for our Christmas fellowship with our Grace Partners. Um, I had so many comments of, of how much uh, the churches enjoyed the fellowship, enjoyed the food, enjoyed the music and the singing, and it was just a blessing uh, to my heart to hear that. I wanted to just convey that to you, how much um, they enjoyed and how much your involvement made that um, a praise and enjoyable time for, for each person that was there. So thank you for that. Now, scripture reading now is in Matthew chapter 2. If you would turn there with me in your Bibles, I'm going to read that chapter. I'm going to read it aloud and you can follow along with me. Matthew chapter 2. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Are when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Ju Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, <coughs> in a dream and said, <clears throat> Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. 
May God give us understanding in his reading of his word. If you would remain standing. Bow our, bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to come in and worship. We pray, Lord, that this service committed to you would include our hearts, true worship, that we'd be able to focus on you, that we would hear your word as it's spoken today, and we would apply it in our lives so that we might recognize your kingdom, trust in Christ as our Savior to be a part of that kingdom, allow him to rule in our hearts right now, and look forward to his rule over all his creation in the ages to come. We pray, Lord, that we'll be faithful as a church in giving that gospel out to others, that they might be called to come trust in you, to turn from their sin, to repent from their ways, to prepare for the kingdom of heaven. And we pray that you would bring many to trust in Christ, many to follow you, even here at Sweet Communion, many to be a part of your kingdom, many to be a part of your family, a part of your army to take this gospel out to all of the world. During this time of Christmas, Lord, we pray that we would focus on Christ in our thinking and in our living. And we thank you for each person that's a part of this group of believers. We pray for those who are suffering in some physical way. We think of my dad and his condition, that you would watch over and be with him. We think of Dwayne and his condition that he had just this week and in the hospital now. We pray that you would bless and heal him, help him in his recovery. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We pray, again, that we give attention to your word that we apply it in our hearts, in our lives, and in right ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In our recent series in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, Verse 13, Colossians 1.13, it's a thought that reflects what Christ has come to do. And as we look at the Christmas season, we want to keep this in mind as we think about Christ. Not only is he that little baby in that manger scene, but Colossians 1, 12, 1, 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And so I've chosen through this season to use that theme, the king and his kingdom. We're transferred to the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son, the king and his kingdom. Let's look at this passage that we read this morning in Matthew chapter 2. And as this king is introduced to the world as a baby, we see even then that he poses a threat to those in power. He poses a threat to Herod. There's a reason why he poses a threat to those in power is because he poses a threat to those who refuse to bow down 
to his power and his authority. Herod was one who was threatened by the new king because he saw his own kingdom coming to an end. And so he thought he would fight, that he would get rid of this new king who was just born. He refused to bow down to him. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, heard what? Verse 2, what the wise men were saying, it says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? When Herod heard that, it says in verse 3, he was troubled. He was troubled. Why would a great king be troubled by a little baby? Because the title with that child was king of the Jews. Now, Herod was put in place by the Roman government to rule over the Jews for the sake of the Roman government. And he was threatened by anybody else who would come along. It's like he was looking behind in his peripheral to see he knew that something was going to happen or he was afraid that something would happen with this nation, Israel, where they would rise up and rule themselves and no longer need him and push him aside and push him out of the way. And so when he heard from Israelis that there was a new king born, he felt threatened by it. And he, he, he planned a plan of action. In that plan of action, there's a, there's a warning to us. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He knew that the wise men were given a, a sign to, to, to lead them to this new king that was born. And he wanted to know, when was this child born? Because, you know, as we look at the, the, the story of Christ's birth in Scripture, we need to understand that these things aren't happening on the day of his birth. In fact, Matthew is centered around the time of his birth, which is somewhere in the two-year frame. By the time Herod hears of this, Christ has already been born, and he could be up to two years old. When you read the account in Luke, you see the shepherds, and, and they are actually coming on the scene at the time of his birth. But when Herod hears about it, he's already been born, and, and, and you, can, you can note those differences. But, but what we see is this in verse 8. It says, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. What I call feigned worship. It's a fake. It's a fraudulent type of worship. And it warns us not to fall in line with that type of, of thinking. This is the kind of, of worship that is fake. You can even be in church and give worship that's not true. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 7 through 9, this is what Jesus says. Matthew 15. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what Herod was doing. On the front, he was honoring Jesus, but his heart was far from honoring Jesus. He said to the wise men, you find him, let me know so I can come and worship him too, but we know that he had the intention of destroying the threat to his throne. In spite of his intention and in spite of his, his great position as leader, as king in the land, you need to know this because it applies not only to Jesus, but it applies to those who trust in Jesus that God 
protected him from every threat. It's not to say that we won't encounter people who hate us or people who want to destroy us. It's not to say that we won't encounter people who go against us. What it says is that God will protect us from every threat according to his purpose and his plan and his will for us. Now, let me say this. It's not to say that Jesus himself wouldn't, in fact, be killed by man. Because that was God's purpose and God's plan, but not before his time. And not without God's purpose and intent. You can see several times in Jesus' life that there was a threat, a physical threat to him. But it wasn't the cross. And God preserved him and protected him. Do you know that God is protecting those who trust in him right now? Psalm 34 says, The angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him. God has sent his protectors to watch over each one of us. It's a verse that I read earlier this week to Duane as he laid in a hospital bed and said, Duane, listen, God is protecting you even right now. And his purpose stands for you. God protected his own son for that very purpose, and even a king could not destroy him. It's interesting that a king is threatened by a little child, and he can't destroy that child no matter how much power he thinks he has. We see that enacted in several ways. Look at verse 16. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. Now, when he ascertained how old or when this child was born, he knew that it was somewhere in this two-year frame. He could be somewhere in, up to two years old. And he sent out an edict to have all male children in that whole area killed, two years and under. God miraculously preserved Jesus. If you read the story in Luke, you would re- recognize that only, not only did he, he uh, uh, deliver Jesus, but Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was just six months older than him. And he was saved and preserved during that time as well. In verse 19, but when Herod died, wonder how that happened. It's not an accident, is it? Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise. So God preserved the child, and he sent word by an angel to Joseph to saying, Okay, you can come back. He sent him to Egypt to escape, and now he's sending him back. And even that trip was to accomplish God's purpose. Verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So as he headed back, he realized, well, Herod is dead, but his wicked sons are still there and ruling, and we have much to fear there, so we should stay clear and God told him, move aside and go to this place, this little city called Nazareth. And look what it says, verse 23, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he will be called a Nazarene. That's interesting to me because it shows that even the threat that man had on Jesus, God used to fulfill his very word to bring about what he said would happen. So we can be comforted with that, that God protects his own from the threat. But the point and the the, the theme I want to focus on is that there, there is a king that has been born. And look at the announcement. Now move with me to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to 
bring out some, some points and highlights from this account that tell us more about this one who's born king of the Jews. You know, the term king of the Jews is interesting, and you know that um, Israel in the Old Testament is a picture of the people of God. The people that God has committed himself to. Now, some of us kind of take issue with that picture because we see how wicked and disobedient Israel was. And yes, they were, but it shows the goodness of God that in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, God is still faithful to his word. He, want, he is one who keeps his promise. And so when he sends one to be king of Israel, king of the Jews, he's saying, one who is going to rule my people. The Jews were simply a, a, a symbol, a type of the people of God. And so Jesus is coming not just to rule that specific nation, he's coming to rule all of his people. We'll see that spoken of here in Luke chapter 1 in verse of 32, we see the angel Gabriel is sent to speak to Mary, and he tells her what's about to happen. With me in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he tells Mary this, this child that you're going to, 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 to give birth to, he will be great. All right? Now, that's, 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 that's a, quite a statement, um, but we can see that. We've seen great people before. He will be great. There's several great people in the history of, of, of Israel himself. Abraham was great, and, and, and the father of, uh, of the faithful David was the greatest king that served. There were prophets in Israel that we would consider great. All of these Men, But it says, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Now that's a little bit more specific and a little bit more unusual. The Son of the Most High. Most High is, 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 is without question a reference to God the Father. There, there's, there's no other way to get away from that term and refer that to anybody else because it didn't say he would be the Son of very high person but the most high, and he would be his son. He would be the son of the most high. Then he says this, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will be the son of the most high, and yet he will be the son of David. He'd be a unique person, and he will be given by God a throne. So we're talking about a king who has a throne. What throne will he be given? It says the throne of his father, David. See, David was considered, he was the greatest king that Israel had. He conquered the most. He was obedient to God. He wasn't a perfect individual, but he was used by God to accomplish that. And God had promised through David, a son of his would be born that would rule God's people Israel. And again, that's a reference not to just this nation that we see today and seen throughout history as a, a specific nation, but it is a, a term for all of God's people, including you and I today that trust in Christ. And it says this about him. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. See, God has said some unique things to David that are hard to understand. That David's throne will continue forever. Now, David thought that was weird. God, are you saying I'm going to live forever? No, David, you're going to die. But a son of yours is going to live, he's going to die, and he's going to live forever, and he's going to rule forever. Like, huh? Scratch my head. What does that mean? God has his plan and his, his focus on the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ is the center of that. He says, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And here he says, just so that we don't get this confused with any other king who ever lived. 
verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, God doesn't speak words lightly, and he doesn't try to impress us by exaggerating. <laughs> he simply speaks the truth. He says, this one is going to reign over the house of Jacob. Again, the house of Jacob is another term for Israel, which is, is a synonym for God's people. He's going to reign over those people. Notice he's going to reign, meaning he is a king that sits on a throne that has a jurisdiction and a rule, and he's going to have that rule over God's people, how long? Forever. And if that wasn't enough, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. He makes it clear this isn't David. This is a greater than David. This isn't a limited man in a human capacity of one particular nation on earth. This is a man who is God himself, who is going to rule over all of God's people and of all that belongs to God. Further in this chapter, in verse 69 now, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, whose story coincides with Jesus. He was born six months before Jesus was born, related to Jesus, cousin of mentioned. And Zechariah... When John the Baptist was born, he begins to prophesy. You notice that John didn't really, excuse me, Zechariah didn't really believe what the angel had told him about his own son. And God punished him a little bit because of that. He said, hey, Zechariah, you don't want to believe what I'm saying? Well, let, let me tell you how you know it's going to be true. You ain't going to be able to talk for a while. I'm going to touch your throat so that you'll start believing your ears when I speak to you. And I'm going to give you this sign so that you know that everything else I said is going to come true. And so it was that, that John, excuse me, that Zechariah couldn't talk. And so he had to like write down, it says he had to write on a tablet. Now he didn't have a tablet like I got today. Um, but they gave him a notepad to write down so that he could speak and that he could talk. But it says this, that uh, the, the angel told him that this child was going to be born, even though his, his, that, that Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth were old and, and too old to have children, God was going to bring about this miracle, and that his child was going to be born, and they should name this child John. And so when the child was, in fact, born later on, Zachariah's people asked him, what do you want to name him? You think we should name him Zachariah? And he was like, he couldn't talk still, but he said no. And then he, I think he wrote down John. And as soon as he wrote that down, boom, his speech was available to him again. He could talk again. He had been obedient to what the angel told him, and now he was going to do what he said and, and, uh, so he gave him his name, and, and, and something happened. Is he be, just began to erupt in prophecy. And I want you, you to see some of that in verse 69, verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, that, it, that tells us he wasn't just happy about something. The joy in him was brought to him by the Holy Spirit. And what he said was Holy Spirit inspired so that it, so that it is scripture today. And here's what he said. I want to look at just a few pieces of it. Verse 69. Well, let's start with 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, who is he talking about? The God of Israel. He wants to bless, he wants to praise, he wants to worship God for what has happened in his life and what's about to happen, what God is doing. Blessed be the God. So he begins to talk about what God has, doing, has done. What has God done? He's visited 
and redeemed his people. Verse 69, he's raised up a, a what? A what? Horn of salvation. That's a unique term, isn't it? But that term horn has to do with leadership. It has to do with though someone in position of power and rule. You see it used in the Old Testament. Um, they anointed a king uh, out with oil, you know, from a, a, a horn. Uh, in the book of Daniel, um, animals' horn was used as a picture of kings that would rule. And so here it is. He, he's using this term to speak of a mighty ruler. Raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. This ruler, this horn, is one, of, one who would rescue and deliver them from enemies. Verse 71. Verse 74 again, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Again, this, this ruler, this rescuer, this king would deliver them from their enemies. Now, how do you deliver someone from enemies? <laughs> we, we got a big thing today talking about bullying, you know. And the thing we want to do with bullying is talk the bully into not bullying. I want to tell you, that don't usually work. It didn't work in my life. When I had bullies in my life, I tried to negotiate with them, right? They said, yeah, we'd be glad to negotiate how much money you got. <laughs> Let's negotiate how we can stop bullying. You got your lunch money today? You got a watch on today? What else is in that pocket of yours? What's in your book bag? What's in your locker? So that's how a bully negotiates. You don't get very far trying to negotiate with a bully. Here's what you do for a bully. You get somebody greater than a bully to set the bully in line. So either, in my point, in my case, you had to either go to a teacher or administrator at school and say, hey, He's messing with me. The problem with doing that is they weren't always around. You know that, right? They weren't always around. So you had to figure out a way to deal with that bully yourself. You either had to avoid him, and if you chose that route, you're going to keep on avoiding him every day, or you had to face him with a greater power than he was. Jesus is coming not to negotiate with enemies. He's not coming to talk them and reason them out of something. He's coming to destroy his enemies. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at Jesus as a king. What is man's enemy today? Man's greatest enemy is sin and the impact and the effects of sin, one of which is death itself. Jesus comes as the only one who has victory over sin and the impact that it brings, death. Nobody else can deliver us and protect us from that. But Jesus, that's what he comes to do. He's the king. So I like what Zechariah is saying in verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Now, you might think that Zechariah is, for the first time in his life, he's going to have a child. He's, he's old. He didn't think he'd ever have children. And so now his, 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 his tongue has been tied. He hasn't been able to talk for so long, for over nine months now. And the child is born. And you would think that he would be praising God, and he'd be speaking of his son to be born. But he's not doing that. He's not talking about his son, John. He's talking about Jesus. Now, how do we know because of what he says and then what follows? Look at verse 76. After going from verse 68 all the way down and speaking all of this, he comes to verse 76 and he says this, and you, child, <laughs> you get that? And you, child. Now he's talking about his son there. And you, child. In other words, everything else was about something else. And now, and you, child, he says. You, 
will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So before that, he's talking about someone else. He's talking about this king. And what does he say about him again in verse 69? That God himself raising up a horn, a king, a mighty ruler. This king is going to deliver his people from their enemies. And by the way, he says, and you, child, John, God has chosen you to, to usher in this king, to introduce this king to everyone. You notice how, how, how John introduces him? In fact, if, if you want to just for a second go back to Matthew chapter 3, the story of Jesus' birth is in Matthew 1 and 2. But in 3, in chapter 3, we see something else. Matthew 3, verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What did he preach? Repent. Why? What of heaven? The kingdom of heaven. I want you to remember that term. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why does he say repent? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because the king has been announced and he's here. And he's going to set up his kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's a king that is to be born. Back to Luke chapter, actually Luke chapter 2 now. Luke chapter 2. What I'm doing is I want you to follow this terminology that the New Testament uses in speaking of Christ. And there's many terms that speak of Christ. We looked at some of them uh, 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 last, last time. We looked at in Matthew chapter 1, he's going to be Jesus, one who will save his people from his sin. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. And, and then we got into Matthew uh, uh, chapter 2, and, and now we see that he's king of the Jews, and not just king of Jews specifically, but king of all of God's people. Now we see that he's king that has a kingdom. A king that has a kingdom. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there's another person that comes on the scene. His name is Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This man was righteous and devout. It's an older man. It says this, he was waiting for, and this is key, the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? <laughs> it simply means the comfort of Israel. The, the hope of Israel, this one who would bring hope and relief and comfort to Israel. You don't understand the history in, in the Old Testament is that Israel had the greatest king. They had David, and in David's rule, God says, look, David, a son of yours is going to come, and he's going to rule all the nations. That was a dynamic and a mighty statement, but after David, it seems like things just went downhill. And in fact, Israel went in an opposite way. That King David ruled, and he had a great kingdom, and his son came, Solomon, and, and he ruled. It was okay, but after Solomon, two of his sons came, and they split the kingdom. They divided it. One was the northern part and called Israel and the southern part called Judah. And from the rest of the Old Testament, from that time on, all the way through Malachi, you see two kingdoms. In fact, it gets to a point where the northern kingdom uh, sinned against God in 722 B.C. They were taken out, destroyed, and no more. And only the southern kingdom ruled. And so many of the prophets were telling the southern kingdom, look, repent, don't be like the northern kingdom. And, and they eventually sinned as well, and they were taken off into captivity into Babylon. And you remember that's 587 B.C., and, and we note that with, with several other scriptures, and mainly we see Daniel in that time period. They were carried off into captivity. That was a sad time 
in the history of Israel. The northern kingdom had been destroyed. The southern kingdom now had sinned against God, and they had been punished, and they were led off into captivity. And King Nebuchadnezzar was this great king who ruled over this huge kingdom, and, and he saw Israel as nothing. The people of Israel are saying, how is our God mighty? Where is he? What's happening with us? Well, nothing happened with God. What happened with them? They stopped trusting in God. And exactly what God said would happen had happened. And so you come over these times to Babylon ruled. And you know, after in the history of that, you see these other nations that, that, that rule. You see the Greek uh, rule. You see the Persian rule. You see the Greek rule. And then you see the Roman rule. And, and, and you see that carried out throughout history. By the time Jesus is born, it's the Romans who rule. Israel is just hardly nothing. All of Israel is holding on to this promise of God as God. You said our nation would be great. You said you would use us to speak out through all to all the world. And so they are hanging and clinging on to this moment. And so this promise of a king is significant to them. It's important to them. It's a symbol of God's faithfulness to them and God continuing with them. And in fact, God is going to keep his promise. But things look very, very dim at this time. So Simeon comes and he says, It's been revealed to me by God that I won't see death until I see the Lord's anointed. That's what he says in Luke chapter 2. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he comes into the temple at the same time that Mary and Joseph have brought this young child in. And it says that he took Jesus, verse 28, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he says this. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for, the and for glory to your people Israel. I want to just talk a little bit about that term, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. To understand that we need to talk about that term and for glory to your people Israel. You can imagine Israel was looking for some leader that would raise them to prominence again to make that nation feel good about themselves. It's kind of like our black community when President Obama took office. There was just this eruption of pride for people who said, we now have a black president. And I, I acknowledge that's, that, that's, a, that's a noted time in history now, I caution people, we not, as a nation, the people of God, and we're not looking for a man to come and deliver us, and I still caution people that way. We, we don't need a political redeemer. Christ gives us all that we need. But I recognize that point in history and, and how people look to that. And, and, you know, they had hoped that this symbol, this person in this high position would now bring them or this culture, this people to prominence. And put their hope in that and their trust in that. In fact, thinking that's what we need to do and to accomplish some of the things that we need to accomplish. I think Israel was a lot like that. And they were looking for something that would inspire them. And so they knew that this ruler to come would put them 
so to speak, on the map again. He will be a glory to your people, Israel. He would be that, but not in the way that they expected. <laughs> See, they wanted Israel, the nation, to be prominent again, but God had other plans. God didn't have plans for this nation itself to, to be prominent for the sake of them being prominent and for the sake of them feeling good or even feeling good about themselves. Just like in our lives, it ain't about you and your feeling good about yourself. It's about you understanding God's purpose, and your purpose is to glorify him. Israel had forgotten that. Their purpose was to bring glory to God, not to just look and have everybody look at them and say, look how great we are. We are the people of God. That's why I like the way God works today. He's not concerned. We might think, well, Lord, if you allow us to buy this block and tear this building down and build up a great edifice, people will look at us and say, whoa, look at what God is doing. God don't need that. You know what God does? <laughs> I like what he says in 1 Corinthians 1, not many mighty are called. <laughs> he takes little people. He takes the small, and he sends out an army of gospel-believing and gospel-teaching and gospel-spewing people who would take the gospel out in all the crevices of Milwaukee, all throughout everywhere, and he brings people to faith by their little acts of faith so that he gets the glory and not us. Now, he was doing that same kind of thing in Israel. He was saying, look, I am going to bring glory to myself by raising my deliverer from Israel, from my people. But he's not just for Israel. He is for all the people who would trust in him all over the world. And that's why this other statement is important when it says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon is speaking by the Holy Spirit, and he says, this one, this deliverance to come, is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. What is a light? Jesus says, you don't take a light and, and put a, a bushel over it. You put a light and you set it up on a hill so People can see it. It's kind of that image of a lighthouse that's set up on a high point so the ships that need to find their way can see and spot it and, and, and know where they're going. He's a light for revealing to the Gentiles. Well, God is saying, look, I'm going to do something. No, you have to understand, Gentiles, there were two ways of speaking of people in Jewish terms. There were Jews... And then there was everybody else. Jews and then everybody else. Everybody else was called Gentile. All right? So if you weren't a Jew, you was everybody else. So what he's saying here, I'm going to show to everybody else what great work I'm doing. I'm, God is saying, I'm going to do such a great work. I'm going to build such a light that the whole world, everybody else is going to notice this and marvel at what I'm doing. God is actually saying, look, I'm going to do something great. It's going to bypass all of Israel, and it's going to reach out into the whole world and touch all of them. That the whole world is going to marvel at. So this king who's to come, he's not just limited to Israel. He's going to be the king not only of all God's people, he's going to be the king of all of God's. All that's under God's realm, Christ is going to be king to. What does that mean? It means that it just goes past this church. See, people fly past this church all the time. They're they worshiping God. We exalt Christ as Lord, but there's coming a time when he's going to be exalted as Lord of Lords, King of Kings. All people everywhere are going to be under his 
throne and under his rule and under his command. Let's just look at a few things that, that point that out. This term king was used throughout Jesus' life. I already noted in, in Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist started his ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3, if I stated that right. And then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when Jesus starts his ministry, Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach. What does he preach? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is a key term in Matthew. It occurs several times. I didn't even count it because there's so many times. The kingdom of heaven is spoken over and over. This, this rule that heaven will have, this realm and this rule and this authority that heaven will have. And Jesus, just like John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This term of this kingdom to come, or this kingdom that now is being put into place, is prominent throughout all of the Gospels. Here in Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven, but in other Gospels, it's used just as strongly, and it's called the kingdom of God there. It's the same thing. What is under heaven's rule is under God's rule. What's under God's rule is the rule of heaven, and it is going to be ruled by Christ himself, the kingdom of of heaven. In fact, at Christ's crucifixion in, Ma excuse me, in Mark chapter 15, turn with me there real quickly, Mark 15, they mock Jesus with this same statement of him being a king and having a kingdom. Matthew 15, verse 26, excuse me, Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 15, 26, it says, and the inscription on, on the charge against him read, this is what they wrote, they put on the cross. This is why he's being crucified. The king of the Jews. That's how they referred to Jesus. That was a mocking statement. Saying, see this guy here, he's crucified. Yeah, that's your king. He's king of the Jews. But go on there. Mark 15, 26. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, Come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They mock him with this term, you're the king, but we got you. But Jesus uses that term too, remember? In fact, in our catechism today, we talked about the prayer, Matthew 6. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, what? Thy kingdom come. Speaks of a kingdom. That word is prominent throughout the, the New Testament, prominent throughout the Gospels. We are to pray that his kingdom, what is this? God's kingdom kingdom of the Father would come. Pray that it would come. And so in some sense, it, it, it hasn't been fully instated. It is going to be put into place. Look with me at Matthew chapter 25, and look how Jesus refers to himself. Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, 31, Jesus tells a parable. And I want you to look at some of the terms used there. He says, now, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, Son of Man refers to Jesus himself, 
and that he's coming in his glory. He's talking about after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, he's telling his disciples what's going to happen. He's giving them a picture of what it's going to look like. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his what? Glorious throne. Who sits on the throne? A king. He says it's a glorious throne. And he's going to be judging. Verse 34. Well, let's just read up to there. Before him, verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. Excuse me, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king, the what? The king, then the king, who's the king? It's the son of man. You might think it's God the Father, but it's Jesus. Look, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. So the king is not, in this story, the father. The king is the son. Then the king will say to those on his right, the king again refers to the same one in verse 31, the son of man who's doing all this. When the son of man, verse 31, comes in his glory and his angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him be gathered all the nations, he will separate people one from another as a shepherd, se- shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. The king is Jesus. King has a kingdom. There's a sense that This kingdom has begun. This kingdom has already begun. This kingdom is the reign of Christ in the heart and the lives of his believers. His kingdom has begun. There's also a sense where the kingdom has, is is not yet. It's already in the heart and lives of believers. Christ is reigning, but it's not yet where the reign of Christ over all his creation. But it's coming to that. I just want to share a few verses. We're going to read, won't explain much, but we'll read them so you get the sense of that. Follow with me, would you? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. These verses depict that the king will come and he will set up his kingdom where his kingdom will rule over all of God's creation, not just the nation Israel or the people of God, but all of God's creation. Saved and unsaved, all of God's creation, he will rule over. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Notice that. Christ is ruling now. He's in heaven. But it's time when he's come where he will rule over not only the powers and authorities in this age, but all powers and authorities in the ages to come. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Philippians 2, 
verse 9 to 12. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Colossians 1, verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, continues on there. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. The coming king is going to be a judge as well. And then in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. Revelation 17, verse 14. It says this. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 19, verse 16, says this. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. In view of this king and his kingdom, what are we to do today? We are to repent like John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are to rejoice like the angels did when they explained and announced the message of this king coming to earth. We are to worship like the wise men who came and laid gifts down at the king. And worshipped him. We are to honor the king like the shepherds. He says, come, let us go and see this great thing that has come to pass. Let's honor this one. We are to ponder the king like Mary did. Mary observed all the things that were happening around her and the the scripture tells us that she just kept them in her heart and pondered. She reflected, she meditated, and she lived her life by in amazement of what God was doing. She pondered what God was doing with the king that he had sent. And in view of this king and his kingdom, we are like the apostles to serve him. They served him by obeying him. They served him by taking the gospel, this message of the kingdom and the king out to others. Let me tell you something. This message of Santa and Rudolph and other reindeer and elves and gifts, that may make you jolly for a short time, especially if you're drinking spirits and getting gifts. But it's not going to hold you after December 25th. People need a lasting, real message. He shall reign forever and ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. This king has come to put sin in its place in our lives today and to prepare us for his kingdom where we're going to rejoice and celebrate forever. People don't know. People think on earth they, they know how to party. They have no idea. Can't nobody party like God party. He made a whole place just for that. 
just for celebrating what he's done in allowing us to be a part of his plan. We're going to party forever in heaven. Won't be no hangovers. Because we have a capacity to keep on partying. <laughs> we have the capacity to worship and enjoy and continue in worship forever and ever because we have a mighty king. I invite you to repent to this king, to rejoice before this king, to worship this king, to honor this king now, to ponder, reflect, and meditate upon his rule in your life and to serve him. Father, we thank you for your word today. May it take root in our lives and bring forth fruit. Faith, believing, trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior, giving up any and everything, any and everyone else that was our hope and trust outside of Christ and trusting and looking forward to him, serving him, being obedient to him, being faithful to him. May this be the fruit of your word today in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.